I think the most important thing I could say to anyone who's who's getting into it is to be aware of and regularly remind yourself that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Sure. Overnight successes are so rare and actually usually mislabeled um, because they ignore the work that was done under the hood to get people to a point where they are. That this, if you are going to try to sustain a career out of this, this mm -hmm. will be going on for a long time. Yeah. And you will be building slowly and incrementally. There's no, um, there's no magic wand that's going to suddenly make you popular. You will be building your audience one member at a time by one member at a time. What's up music marketers and welcome to the show. This is your Music Marketing Academy podcast where we talk about marketing you, your band or your brand in this fast growing music industry. Now if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Whether you're new to the game or a veteran, this podcast is probably for you. Now in today's episode, we're going to be talking to Paul McDonnell, aka a band called Paul, on how he gets so much damn airplay and how you can do the same. But first, this episode is brought to you by the Music Marketing Starter Kit. The Starter Kit is a collection of useful tools and resources helping you to market your music. The kit shows you how to build your own fan email list and also build your own website. But the most important thing of all, it shows you how to separate your fans from your followers. Now look, if this is something you're interested in, the link is in the description. Let's get on with the podcast. Um, so, Paul, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I really do appreciate it. If you oh, could thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, no I'm going to talk across you all the time here, Des. <laughs> <laughs> I welcome make it. Your, make your editing afterwards a complete nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all. I'm totally used to it. I'm used to working with other musicians, so not a problem. But if you could provide a little bit of background about yourself. Obviously, we spoke briefly before we got onto the podcast. But if you can obviously explain to the audience who you are, what you're about, and your background, that'd be fantastic sure um as a quick overview I'll, I'll i'll try and be a little bit quick to give as i say an overview and then i'll go into a bit more detail about where i'm sure. coming from because a lot of it does inform kind of what i am doing now uh, the experience that i've had so my name is paul mcdonnell um and i'm in dublin in ireland and i release music under the name a band called paul um, pick the name um, we had a little chat about this beforehand I'll tell you why I picked the name is because I didn't want to convey myself as being a solo artist a singer-songwriter okay. um, so, so I wanted I am a multi-instrumentalist um, and I knew starting out a band called Paul that I was going to be playing most of the instruments on what I was recording um, I don't play all of them I do call in other musicians for things that I don't play like strings and brass but the, the mainstay of the kind of band if you like the guitar bass keyboards drums percussion I do all of that uh, okay. and vocals obviously um, so hence the name a band called Paul uh, okay. It's the real one-man band kind of thing, you know, busking on the street with all those little <laughs> symbols going, <laughs> and the, the, the monkey playing the triangle, whatever it may be. Um, I did start out life as a drummer and percussionist. Um, that is, my mum actually tells a story of when I was like three or four, I was sat on the step outside the house with knitting needles and cardboard boxes, uh, play, playing along to what was probably the Bay City Rollers. That'll give you the So you've been doing it for quite a while so, then, if, you're, if that's what you're well, saying. I've been playing professionally for over 30 years. Wow. Um, and I started a long way before that, as I say, about the age of three, three or four. 
Sure. And then in primary school here, about the age of seven, had one of those moments where somebody came in and, and offered music lessons to anyone mm -hmm. that wanted to take them up outside school. Okay. And the uh, instruments available were like piano, violin, saxophone, I think, yawn stuff. And then they said drums. And I went, ooh. <laughs> you know, seven-year-old boy drums, damn right, I want some of that. So I started, a bunch of us started to do drum lessons, uh, which was on, I don't know if you know much about the how this starts, but you start on a practice pad. You don't get to a drum itself for quite some time because they try okay. to squeeze out who's really interested and who's not. And if you stick okay. with it, then obviously you move on to drums because you're interested. So a group of us started, a whole load of them dropped out, and I stayed to the point where I was the only one left out of a group of probably six or eight that started off. Sure. And um, kept going that for a few years. And then about the age of 13 or 14, I decided to get a bit more serious about a future in music and contacted uh, the principal percussionist of, there are two professional orchestras in Ireland. Uh, there is the symphony orchestra and what they call the concert orchestra, which I'll be talking about a bit more later because it's quite important. Uh, right. it's, the one I, it's the one I joined. Um, and I contacted the head of the concert orchestra, an American guy, um, who is absolutely brilliant as a player. And I said, would you take me on as a student? And that started an entire teenage existence of mixed in with girls, etc. I had, <laughs> I had all of the I had music lessons practically every day after school. Um, I was doing orchestral percussion lessons with Richard, the American, and I was also doing music theory lessons in the Royal Irish Academy of Music in the city centre. And I don't know if you've ever seen the music, the movie Whiplash um, about the jazz drummer, but it was kind of like that. It was real uh, kind of conservatory of music, you know, blisters on the hands, practicing all the time. A bit like Olympic swimmers, you hear about them going to the swimming pool at six o'clock in the morning and, and sure. you know, after school going back to the swimming pool. It was kind of like the same, the same kind of thing for me, uh, doing drums and percussion. Now, percussion stretched the whole range of orchestral percussion, from tuned percussion, marimba, xylophone, glockenspiel, vibraphone, to kettle drums, timpani, uh, and all the little fiddly bits, snare drum, tambourine, cymbals, etc. So anywho, uh, I was doing that all my teenage years and my parents realized that I was beginning to take this seriously. I was putting in the work, but they said to me, look, if you're going to pursue a career in this, we really, really insist that you must go to university and get a degree in something else. Yeah, just as advice. a fallback position. Really yeah, just good advice. Being completely yeah. sensible, you know. Um, so, ironically, I've never used it since, but I do have a BA. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> as, as a lot of people can say. <laughs> yeah, you go to get a degree and then I you don't do one. anything. Yeah, you don't oh, yeah. do anything well, to I've, do with the degree. It's, it's I've crazy. a hanging on the wall, you know. <laughs> well, it was... <laughs> It was while I was doing the degree, I was playing with like loads of um, wind bands and I was playing with the National Youth Orchestra here in Ireland. And um, when I was playing with the National Youth Orchestra here, it was the principal percussionist of the other orchestra, uh, which is like 120 people big. It's the symphony orchestra. It's the, it's the big mama, like it's the real one, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, not the real one, that's unfair to say. It's it's just, it's it's more, um, it's got a lot more gravitas. It's more, as they say in Italian, pesante. You know, um, and the principal percussionist of the symphony orchestra asked me if I would like to do what they call deputizing, which is when the percussion section of the symphony orchestra would be, for example, say four people. But every so often, quite a lot, actually, they'd get in pieces that require seven players, eight players. Okay like Carmina Burana, some of the Wagner work, works, um, Prokofiev, stuff like that. 
And he'd asked me, he asked me if I wanted to, if I was interested in deputizing for them, which is when they expand the section. And I said, absolutely, of course. And this was on a kind of a casual basis. So you get called in for a few gigs every so often, a bit of money coming in, not bad. And that's then led to the same phone call coming from the other orchestra, which was the concert orchestra. Now, the concert orchestra is really interesting background for me because it started life in the 1930s, 1940s as the radio orchestra that played the live music and all the radio shows, which meant that it was small, agile, and its repertoire was incredibly broad from big band jazz to classical pieces to, I remember doing ABBA specials when we were in the orchestra. They have such a variety of what they do. Um, And I started to play with them. This went on for a number of years, which led to a contract with them, full-time job, which led to me staying there for a decade. So for my entire job with it. Yeah, yeah. So for an entire decade, my 20s, I was percussionist in the concert orchestra in RTE, which is the master broadcaster here. I had no Um, idea. Yeah, (laughs) it was great fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What they say about rock musicians and their lifestyle, certainly in those days, they had nothing on orchestra musicians. We had uh, the the reason I actually decided, well, there were a couple of reasons why I decided to step down from the position. Uh, Mm -hmm. One was that I had achieved a remarkable success and got to a very, um, got to the highest rank, if you like, that I was going to get to by the age of 27. Um, And I was looking at these people in the orchestra who were like 30 years older than me, etc. And thinking, you know, can I do this for another 30 years? I don't think so. I thrive on variety um, and a fresh challenge. So that mixed with the fact that we had an incredible workload one year that just wrecked me out. We did two American tours in the space in two years. And um, the second one was 28 concerts in different states within 30 days. Good grief. And when we came back from that, we had one day off and then went into the pit of the Gaiety Theatre, the orchestra pit of the Gaiety Theatre here to do opera season for a fortnight, which is, yeah, uh, which is just... It's heavy going. You're in a dusty yeah. little piss. Um, now, amazing experience. I remember at one time, Des, you know, sitting in the piss doing Madam Butterfly, I think it was, and just sitting back in one of those kind of 10,000 bars rests the percussionists have, you know, and thinking to myself, God, there's worse ways of making money than this. This is amazing. <laughs> You're listening to this, this fantastic opera going on, you know, and, uh, and thinking, yeah, getting paid for this. But as I say, then the, the, the ch- I'd lost the challenge. Um, really? we we were then playing pieces that I played again and again and again and again, and I just needed something fresh. So mm. I left that. Um, musically started to write songs after that and do demos and stuff that never came to anything much, but also started to write. I sold myself to the devil. I did a few TV commercials and stuff like that to make money uh, anonymously. Well, do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, but that interestingly led to then doing film soundtracks, you know, short okay. movies. Uh, was working with theatre companies, doing music for plays, productions. Um, and I ended up doing two feature films. Um, which was fantastic experience. Um, loved that. Um, and then while doing that, um, started songwriting again. And this kind of came at a point when I decided to start a band called Paul and start releasing music. That's kind of potted overview of my, my background. But, so um, day, day job now then, what is it that you do um, as well as your music? 
I am now a freelance kind of, I do video production, video editing, graphic design, oh. website development. So um, still on the creative side then? <clears throat> oh, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this came from a period when, when the kids and mortgage arrived, basically, I was looking at my <laughs> life going, okay, you got to get a bit responsible here now, young man. Well, not young anymore. Um, and I did what transpired to be, what turned out to be, one of, I made one of the worst decisions in my life and I went and got a desk job. Um, right. And but at least it was a desk job doing that kind of creative graphic design, video editing, stuff like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was still a desk job. Um, so, and so was the video editing was that like self-taught, or did you kind of learn learn on the job? As I've done right. with kind of most things in my okay. life. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive, um, though. Well, the only way to do it, really, learn on the job, you know. Um, I yeah. mean, we used to joke, myself and my wife, we used to joke about the fact that, you know, the phone rings and somebody has a bizarre request. The answer is yes. And then you look <laughs> up and find out what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> How do you do that? Of course I do. Yes, I have loads of experience doing it. What is it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and she's the same. <laughs> she's fantastic. Is she a musician as well, your wife? No, she has a note in her head. Oh, okay. <laughs> My kids are constantly had to say, stop singing. Just anything. Stop singing. Stop trying. <laughs> and what about the kids? Are the kids full of No, they've inherited her well? musical skills. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, kinda, I never wanted to push the kids into music. If they no. gravitated towards it, of course I'd support yeah. them in anything they wanted to do. But, um, but no, they, they haven't been tempted to go down my particular path. Totally respect that. So what's your As genre I, then? Yeah. What's your genre then? You call yourself, uh, is it alternative rock that you... Yeah, well, this is why I kind of, I was talking about the concert orchestra in the years I spent mm. in that earlier, is that, yeah, my, my passion, my heart would lie with indie rock. Um, okay. ooh, I mean, I don't know how much of the backstory will make it to the final podcast, but while I was doing all that, of course, I was playing in rock bands um, all oh, the time. Okay. In fact, there was a period with the orchestra, I went on tour with a band called The Pale, in the 1990s uh, they were mm -hmm. quite quite well known in ireland and made top 40 uk right. um and went on tour with them for three years um and literally had times where i was on the stage of the national concert hall here in the dicky bow doing a, like an orchestral performance finish at 10 o'clock pack the gear away jump in the car and go down the country to play a rock bands in a hall right. And, you know, arrive back in Dublin four o'clock in the morning, offload the equipment, get home, go to bed and be up for rehearsals with the orchestra at 10 o'clock the next day. That's that went nuts. on for three, three years, you know. Um, but it was great. It's a fantastic experience. So <laughs> I, I take it that band isn't still going. Is it The Pale, did you say? It, we, we, yeah, it was The Pale. We broke up um, and then the two core members of the band have recently started to play again. Um, as they do, you know. So, a little, a little interest from you? Is that somewhere you probably... No, wanna... I declined. No? I, it's one, one thing in life that I, I don't like going back. Um, sure. I just want to keep moving forward. I don't want to revisit something I've already done. As I say, I thrive on freshness and challenge. And totally anything, that. anything that's going back in time to something I did before, well, the cynical side of me would say that you're only doing that for money. Yeah. You know, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're tempted to trade on former glories. That's all that that can be, you know? Sure. Um, and I just prefer to keep creating, keep moving forwards, something different, well, you know? I mean, you've had a, uh, quite a illustrious career. I mean, you must be quite happy with what you've achieved so far then and, and what you've done. It's a lot more than what most people have done in that time. Um, I, yeah.
I mean, sometimes I'll sit back and, I, and I'll, I'll kind of look at things that I have achieved over my career and go, wow, that's amazing. That's fantastic. I've played with some amazing people, um, some heavy names, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think, wow, you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> a lot. But, but at the same time, I, in terms of keeping moving forward, I like to push the boundaries as well. Nothing like that will satisfy me for long. Sure. You know, uh, any achievement is, well, that's great, but, you know, don't, <laughs> don't get a big head, don't lose the run of yourself, move on, try something new, try something different. Um, and it's, it's one thing when you ask me to kind of categorize what a band called Paul does, you know, at the core would be indie rock, but sometimes I'll do like Latin jazz, swing jazz, yeah. world, folk, uh, rap. <laughs> did a collaboration <laughs> with uh, with a guy, uh, got uh, an American-based rapper uh, from Arizona, Joe Lyd. Did that uh, yeah, earlier in I the remember. year, yeah. and that was fantastic, you know. Uh, and I'm increasingly now also getting into producing other artists. Uh, the first track that I produced for somebody else was released a couple of weeks back uh, for an artist called Rhesus Freak, okay. um, where basically that's a it's a girl called Emma. And she sent me her guitar and vocal takes and I completely kind of pulled it apart and rebuilt it and, and loved that creative process. It's totally different to what I had been doing because a band called Paul has kind of been a bit insular, if you like, mm-hmm. um, operating in a cocoon. As I say, I'm a multi-instrumentalist, so I play most of the instruments on what I do. will call in other people if needed, but only when needed type thing. But it's basically me operating in a bubble. Uh, and again, in terms of perspective and headspace that can become a very isolating place over time mm-hmm. so starting to work with joel on the collaboration that we did kind of opened my eyes in terms of bouncing ideas off other people um which was you know a very liberating kind of process to experience um and and joel was fantastic with it um so we kind of did a 50 50 with tennis back and forth he was in arizona so obviously we couldn't well it was pandemic as well so we couldn't meet uh, we were never in the same room we never have been but we were in constant contact so the time difference obviously didn't help as well but through 50 50 collaboration we kind of built the track five thousand miles apart um, okay. which was which was an incredible experience and great fun. We're also now working on something else together just because we had so much fun doing that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that then also led to me deciding to expand out into producing other people. Um, mm-hmm. And as I say, Emma was the first. I, I heard a track that she had released. And in I just, when I heard the track, being played i i heard it being played totally differently in my head uh instinctively i just there was something about it where i thought "Ooh, ooh the core songwriting on that's fantastic but i hear it in a different style a different style and yeah. and i approached her and i said would you kind of trust me enough to give me the master tapes um which she did and then i told her okay i'll be in touch in a couple of weeks time and she left me to my own devices and then whatever three four weeks later i come back and said there it is and so how, how, how did you how did you meet each other then because obviously we're going to touch on the social side in the in a little while but did you guys meet through social media then how did she yeah. come across you in the first place yeah um twitter um twitter is not only my favorite platform uh, social media platform i i am on facebook and instagram not tiktok i still i just can't do it for some reason but, uh, <laughs> I, I, i'm on facebook and instagram okay. kind of because i have to be Sure. Um, just just to establish a presence and lock off your corner, if you know what I mean. But Twitter, I find, is where the community spirit is. Um, with this you. will be no no surprise to you, Des. Yeah. No, not um, at all. Not at all. <laughs> and it's you know it, it's the whole thing about networking on Twitter. 
Uh, now, uh, Kelly Kintner, just as a, a word of caution to any kind of aspiring musicians or people who are thinking of getting out there, Kelly Kintner correctly pointed out not to fall into a trap of thinking that getting a lot of followers and networking on Twitter is actually getting you commercial success in the real world, in inverted commas. You're actually hanging out backstage with a lot of other musicians. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But that, but that also has its place. That is a mm-hmm. very important aspect of of the day-to-dayness of doing this Mm -hmm. um networking with other people to see what they're at to get support from them they're people who understand what you're going through and they also have contacts which lead to contacts which lead to contacts and it's vital to what i know the core subject of this podcast is about which is online radio it is, and, yeah. and, and getting airplay on online radio. We're we're um, going to come to that. Don't worry. Okay, <laughs> but I'm gonna. I still want to dig into a little bit about you and your and what you're doing, and then we can get onto that side of it if that's okay. Um, so um, the how do you actually write and produce? Then have you actually got your own home studio, or do you yes. go to a you have okay. Um, uh, I, I've done both days. I've done the home studio and I've done the professional studio. And you know, it's it's a real question of different strokes for different folks. Um, mm. My preferred creative process, because I work, I think, at my best in isolation. Um, being creative, I, I I find being creative with other people at that kind of stage where you're um, you're composing, you're writing. Mm-hmm. Um, Working with other people tends to be more staring into middle distance for three hours or being bumped off a chair because somebody else has a good idea and they want to step in at the computer and all that kind of stuff. And just through experience, that doesn't work for me. I like to be alone doing that. Um, But I would say if anyone, if you can afford it, the ideal for me would be to develop your tracks to be creative in your home studio where you're not watching the clock. Uh-huh. And you can kind of, you can make mistakes, go down rabbit holes, fulfill your own potential that way. But if you can then afford it at the very last step of the process to finalize your work, no harm at all going to a pro studio where they have the full on equipment, the massive speakers and the engineers with ears to sure. be able to road test it and just make sure that it will stand up to other tracks that are being played. I'm with you. Um, personally, I haven't had that luxury with my own stuff, but I have before with other people's stuff. Um, okay. and it, it does make all the difference but it, again like anything as an indie musician it's whatever you can afford at any given time um, yeah. you certainly shouldn't let the lack of affordability prevent you from doing something especially with the advances in home technology or home studio technologies that have happened in the last 10-20 years and I've witnessed them and they are enormous so have my, you got a... my, my first <laughs> Mac I have to point out my first computer <laughs> in the late 1990s had 8 megabytes of RAM and a whopping 250 megabyte hard drive. Megabyte. Good grief. <laughs> it's nuts when you think about it now, isn't it? And it costs more than your average Mac would now, you know? Um, Crazy. Uh, the advances in sampling home technology, I've, I've kind of, I've seen it all and it's stunning. It's absolutely yeah. stunning what you can do in a home studio these days. So have you got your own, is it um, like a self-contained sort of room that you actually do this in? Or <laughs> no. you kind of, is it like a makeshift? <laughs> I, I wish this. <laughs> no, Aspirationally. I have, I, I have what I could only describe as a little corner of the sitting room beside the fish tank. <laughs> I'm not joking. Brilliant. Uh, 
No, I, I do have, I have an L-shaped uh, workspace with two monitors, speakers either side, racked up. Um, okay. Well, it uh, um, works. Oh, well, it, it works for me. You yeah. know, and and I think, you know, that's that's an important thing. If I'm repeating myself and saying this, I think it's just an important thing to convey is at the end of the day, it's whatever works for you as an artist, as a creative, you will find your own way of producing um, and follow your instincts in that. Uh, and, and as I was saying before, don't let the lack of affordability of something stop you from trying something. Necessity oftentimes is the mother of invention. And I've come out with my best stuff through lateral thinking just because yeah. I didn't have adequate resources. So what do you do, you know? Sure. We discussed earlier that you do a little bit of video editing. And um, yeah. in fact, I think that's how I first came across you. I think I saw one of the music videos that you actually edited and you did some things with filters and things like that. And I asked you, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, this was obviously last year. Um, but yeah, it just seems that again, it's your music is great. Um, and obviously, you, you've oh, got a knack of <laughs> you've got a knack of uh, networking and collaborating on Twitter, which is obviously your favourite platform. But on the on the other side of things, your artwork and your video editing uh, capabilities are, are great as well. So maybe you can kind of speak to us about your you know your inspiration for that as well. Okay, um, artwork. Yes, I do all my artwork myself as well. And mm. it's not, I, I could only describe the, the, the look of a band called Paul's artwork as it's not my best work. And that's yeah. unashamedly so. What I wanted to achieve with it above all else was consistency. Sure. So that there is a look to what I put out. Yeah. So if you, if you were to happen to go to Bandcamp, for example, <laughs> discreet plug a band called Paul's <laughs> um, No problem, no problem. If, if you were to, to go there and look at all the sleeves of what I've done, mm -hmm. each one has the same uh, kind of, there's a, a kind of graphic convention that I use, which is there is a bar of a solid color with the title of the track in it. Sure. Somewhere around that will be the logo and it will all be superimposed on a fairly simple image usually of myself but sometimes it, like slow train for example i can think of yeah. one where um i used an image of a, a, an incredible image um of a train going through the mountains on a massive bridge um but yeah from a graphic design point of view as i say it's i, I i've done better graphic design per se technically every which way but flexibility in terms of being able to use that convention on every sleeve that i have mm -hmm won the day for me yeah. that's what i wanted to achieve um, and would you and I, would you recommend other musicians go down the same sort of route as well and trying to be consistent with their artwork and the look and feel of their brand is that something yes. you need to recommend yes yeah. i think so um when i had a desk job part of my job was branding uh branding right. and marketing actually um okay. and consistency of brand communication is key yeah, sure. Um, and and I don't mean communication just in the sense of visual communication, which in which I do think consistency is key. Um, if I may reference, actually, probably an influence on me in that respect was Peter Gabriel, okay. whose, whose first three albums were called Peter Gabriel. Um, and each had his name written in a specific font, all lowercase, against an image of him. End of. Very, Very simple. Yeah. Very, very effective. He yeah. was forced by his record company to actually give his albums a title. Sorry, his first four were simply called Peter Gabriel. 
Okay. His his fifth album, his record company forced him to come out with the title, so he gave it two letters and called it So. <laughs> his next album was Us, and his next album after that was Up. <laughs> okay. And I think the, the simplicity of that, I absolutely love it, but it also lent itself to a consistency of look across his album covers, which I wanted to emulate. Yeah. Um, I love say, you like I, his, his music as well. I'm a big fan of Peter Gabriel. Not just yeah. actually the music, just of, of him. Um, of him. I, I've to- total respect for the man in terms of what he does in a humanitarian sense. Um, what he's done with world music, WOMAD, uh, which almost bankrupted him. Um, wow. And Real World, uh, the record label. Sure. And studios in Bath, there in the UK. Um, okay. Total respect for the man. Cool. So obviously we're going to go on to the, um, the radio side of things in a little while, but um, how do you actually promote your music? Obviously, once you've got your, um, your everything mastered and everything, everything's finalised, what's your concept? How do you actually go about launching your track and, and, and promoting it, if you don't mind us? Um, let's into that. Well, yeah, I, I do have a process. I actually I wrote it down as prep here. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can't find it. I've all these prep, <laughs> prep notes that I made. <laughs> um, I, I, I forget the notes. I'll just I'll talk off. No, that. take your time. You can find it if you want. We're recording and I can edit this. So if you, if you need to find it, I don't, I don't mind. It's not a problem. Um, okay. Well, the first thing I would have is um, I, I'm a demon for maintaining spreadsheets. Um, okay. probably because I have a, a brain like a goldfish. My memory is just awful. So I have to annotate everything. I even make notes for life on my phone. I'm that kind of guy, you know, I just, I won't remember anything. So I have to write well, it down yeah, uh, or take note and not write it down these days. Eh? Um, so I keep spreadsheets of everything. Um, this okay. is relevant to the online radio stations and it's also relevant to other kind of media outlets like um, journalists, uh, bloggers, whatever it may be. Sure. Um, and so that's your that's your database on the spreadsheet. Is it on one spreadsheet and you've got different no, tabs no, at I the bottom two. or two? No, right, I, okay. I, I, two. Um, actually, yeah, I have three. <laughs> um, and the reason I have three is I also have one for National Irish Radio, which is notoriously difficult to get in and has to be maintained kind of religiously. Whenever you get a, a, a kind of a look in, uh, you kind of grab onto it and, uh, <laughs> and make notes on your spreadsheet as to, totally. as, to who, as to what responses you had. Kind of, as they say in marketing terms, every touch point that you have with people, you make note of it. It's a bit like a CRM tool, basically. Yeah. And yeah. that's effectively what it is. Um, so in terms of a launch, what I would do, I have the track mastered. Um, I will usually at that point only then start the video. Um, okay. And in the few weeks, the distributors that I use, I use DistroKid, as a lot of people do, um, they generally like four weeks notice from when mm-hmm. you upload your track to them. Um, they're sure. like four weeks before the release date in order to kind of get make sure it gets in the stores and all that. So I, I obey. I give them the four weeks. Okay. Um, it usually goes up with the temporary sleeve at that point, which you can change after the fact. Okay. Um, so it goes up with temporary artwork, but at least it's in the system. It's getting shot out to the correct stores for the right release date. Sure. At that point then, um, I will start thinking about the video um i will go in and shoot the video which i do myself um i film my videos on a phone 
Um, it's literally as simple as I I have a big room, I shouldn't probably admit this, in my mother's house that I go to. Uh, it's a kind of a conservatory sunroom, has lots of natural light coming in, which is important as well. And I, I keep a green screen there in a bag. And when I need to do a video, I set up the green screen on the big frame. Oh, um, and I put the camera in front of myself and I will film myself performing the track um, sometimes in a specific way, if I have a specific idea, if I don't have a specific idea, I'll just wing it and perform it mm -hmm. and, and kind of sort it out in post, as they say. Um, so I'll shoot the video and spend probably the next week or two working exclusively on the video on the one side, while also tightening up my database, my spreadsheets of who to send it out to when it's ready type thing. Sure. Then usually two weeks in advance of release, I'll start sending the track out to journalists and bloggers because they have longer lead times oh, in, terms of get, in terms of getting anything out there. So the video then, who do you actually send? I don't need specifics, but who do you actually send your video to? Because I think a lot of musicians just post it on social media. They don't send it anywhere else. But from from what you're saying is you actually send your video out before your audio gets sent out to radio stations. I, I, I will send both. Yeah. Um, uh, do, uh, the, um, is it actually an acronym? EPK, electronic press kit yeah. is a vital thing to get together. Um, okay. And in the EPK, I will have promotional images, mm -hmm. the track, the track as an MP3 and a press release that has the video dominant. Um, wow. I don't mean the video embedded, I mean a link to the video dominant in there to try and make it as easy as possible for the people receiving it to hear it, watch it, somehow engage with it. They'll have an MP3 attachment, so if they choose to just listen to it and focus on the music, that's well and good. But mm -hmm. so many people prefer the visuals, the eye candy of, of seeing the YouTube video. So mm -hmm. I will keep I will keep I will post it on YouTube, include the link in the EPK and keep it unlisted until I actually release the track. Um, so you. that you, you can't find it on YouTube unless you have the link, but the link is embedded in the electronic press kit that you've sent out to the bloggers and the journalists so that they have it. And they so from your, it. from your point of view, then, the, the visual side is very important because I know a lot of musicians oh, oh, don't... Oh, it is, Des, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the traction you can gain on YouTube, even though there isn't such a revenue stream from us, the, the sheer amount of eyeballs that you can get on YouTube is exceptional. It's, it's quite mm -hmm. stunning. Um, the temptation is, of course, to focus all promotion on Spotify because yeah. it is the ubiquitous platform and uh, yeah, of questionable revenue stream to artists that <laughs> won't, that won't come as news. Um, but I, I I like to promote YouTube as much as Spotify, um, oh, as much God. as I can. I've I've gotten increasingly into the um, into the habit of promoting. Spotify, because you kind of have to, YouTube and Bandcamp as mm -hmm. the three main sources to find my music. And I'll always okay. have the, pin, the pinned tweet whenever I have a release. The pinned tweet will contain the links to those three platforms. And usually something else that I find works very well is once I finish the video, I will do a 60-second edit, well, 59 seconds, 50, whatever frames that brings you just under that 60-second cap on social media. Uh, an edit of kind of the best part or some part of the, the video. That's an and, excellent idea. I like and that. And wrap it, wrap it in a square framing because square works best on social media. You get more real estate on the screen. 
but it also gives you the real estate to add your branding above it and the available outlets like Spotify. That's really good advice. Now, now available on Spotify, Bandcamp, blah, 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 below it. Sure. And a- anyone who checks out my previous tweets, I, ironically, my pinned tweet right now is the track I've produced for Rhesus Freak. So yeah. I don't have that on it. But every other release that I've done under the name of Band Called Paul has that format. And if anyone searches my Twitter account, you'll find them. You'll find a reference to what it is I'm talking about. Absolutely. And um, you say and be, that... Be, because, sorry, Des, because it plays but, within Twitter. Yeah. Perfect. It can also so it's just, it's, just an, it's an MP4 uploaded to Twitter then, basically. An MP4 yes. file uploaded. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. And but, but say, again, as I say, the, the square size helps with the widescreen video that you have, the 16 mm-hmm. to 9 aspect ratio. Making it square gives you that space to put your branding. So it's always visible who you are, what the track's called, here's the video playing, and where it's available. Sure. And I recommend um, if anybody is listening to this, have a look at Paul's um, Twitter stream, for example, or even Facebook, because I'm, sh- I'm assuming you, you kind of post a similar sort of content there as you do on, on yeah, Twitter. Yeah. yeah? Now, w- one thing, and I, I don't know if it's just me, but I have found that posting those videos directly to Facebook mm-hmm. messes with the sound quality something fierce. It's, it's, sure. it's unbelievably bad. A um, lot of people have said I, that. What, but what I did find a workaround, if you post it to Instagram and select to also post it to Facebook, audio quality is perfect. Oh, that's a good tip. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. I I wonder uh, why that is then. I have no idea. And maybe it's something I'm doing wrong. I don't know. But I found that this works, so I'm sticking with that. (laughs) You know, it also gets you on Instagram and Facebook at the same time. But for some reason, the audio quality is far superior when you post it through Instagram and let it post it to Facebook. Mm, interesting. I should uh, remember go, that. Go figure. <laughs> so um, I always recommend, and this is something you, you just said that you do, and I, I think it's a great idea, that you've got your full-length video and you actually split it up into little snippets so you can actually post it on social media. Um, yeah. I always try to recommend that people do that, but I don't see a lot of musicians doing that. I don't know whether it's a case of they just can't be bothered um, or they don't have the time, but can you just tell us um, one of the main well, reasons why you do separate it the way you do? and and Uh, snippets well first off in order to get the track playable within the platform yeah so that you know you put a a youtube link into a tweet and somebody has to click a link to be taken to a different platform and you're just asking a few steps too many for the casual browser i find yeah yeah if if you can actually play the track within the platform that's a winner um what also helps with having them at 60 seconds well first off you can upload it directly to a tweet at 60 seconds but it also means that you can refresh your campaign on a regular basis by choosing a different 60 seconds of the video i find for me and i can only speak for myself that the average shelf life for a single is three months um and to have something that 60 second clip to be able to refresh that with a different 60 second clip just keeps things fresh over that period of three months that you're not firing at the same thing that people have seen before every time Um, that's presuming that people actually see notice that they've seen it before. <laughs> Isn't that an ideal world kind of scenario? Um, um, and I also do it because the bottom line is I can. Um, I have, as I say, my, my desk job when I did that uh, ill-advised period of a desk job involved learning on the job how to edit videos. So sure. I'm pretty good at Final Cut Pro being my platform. 
So okay. I'm pretty good at it and I can edit and bang out a 60 second video quite quickly and edit of, of the longer video quite quickly. And puts, sure. you know, with the graphic design background that I have as well, I can put the framing on it that has the branding, etc., and have the video playing behind the branding. So I do it because I can yeah. and, and I think it works. I suppose um, if musicians, obviously, they're not going to be um, as well. Um, they're not going to be as used to using something like Final Cut Pro as you are. But I suppose they can actually um, outsource that to a freelancer, maybe on somewhere like Fiverr or one of the freelancing sites. <laughs> so they've got their full length video and they can just tell them that they need it to be cut up into little snippets. They can they can do that, I suppose. Absolutely. Now, coming, this may be simply my perspective on things, mm. but my my approach has always been that rather than outsource something, I'll try yeah. to teach myself how to do it. Sure. Uh, from a sustainability point of view. Now, I'd, I'd have to caution that a little bit, I counter that a little bit by cautioning that if you're simply not good at something, don't persist. You know, if if what you're doing while you're learning on the job isn't up to scratch, it doesn't look professional, then don't do it. Know right. your own limitations and go and get a professional. That's really good advice. Um, but if you can do it, by all means do it. Or if you can kind of teach yourself, put yourself in a position where you can sustain doing that over a period of time. Sure. Then you will in the long run, and again, I think being an intermusic, position is very much the marathon not the sprint mm -hmm. you will sustain yourself better over the duration you shell out even if you're talking getting a freelancer in to do this for one release you shell mm -hmm. out say maybe 50 quid yeah hypothetically on one release you do it for the next release you do it on the next release you do it on the next release with those four releases you would have paid for final cut pro yeah no you're right and exactly you, right and and you would have learned a new skill yeah, it's just that yeah. not everybody's in that frame of mind, are they? Or even has the inclination to to do that. So, honestly, yeah, I no, you are right. My own experience and my own perspective. This, um, it's what yeah. I try to do as much as I can. I, I look at the end of the day. I'll admit I'm a control freak, totally. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, a band called Paul. I do everything type thing. You know, I am a control freak. <laughs> so, I, I I would much prefer myself to learn and grow. Learn how to do something and grow as a creative in any discipline rather than rather than hire somebody else to do it yeah with totally that caveat that. of if if you're simply not good at something don't force the issue hire mm -hmm. the professional totally get that totally get that so look paul let's get into the radio play which i'm really excited to talk to you about and this is something i'd really like um everybody to hear your perspective on it because i think Looking at um, a lot of the Twitter accounts that I look at, I see that you're one of the ones that's quite prominent regarding getting radio play, and you're very good at it. So I'd love for you to actually go through the process, not not the whole history, but um, just maybe the, <laughs> <Yeah>. the, <laughs> the bite-sized... I talk for hours, on not <laughs> Shut up, I'll keep it concise. <laughs> If you can give us the uh, the bite-sized uh, edition of how you first went about um, uh, getting the radio play, why you think it's important, and how you go about doing it. Obviously, we talked about spreadsheets before. But, yeah, yeah. if you can just give the audience yeah. um, just a, 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 an opening into how you, can, you kind of do it, that would be fantastic. Okay. Well, the first thing that strikes me is I'm actually going to start kind of at the end and then go, okay. back, go to the beginning. That's fine. Yeah, um, come up with that. The, the end is you say that I'm quite successful at it. 
Mm. The reality is that I'm very visible at it. Sure. And the reason I'm very visible at it is because I like to very visibly thank every play that I get or acknowledge it. Okay. So on Twitter, on my Twitter feed, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of unapologetic about it, but if it annoys some people, it annoys some people, but you will see a lot of thanks to such a station, thanks to this station, thanks to that station. Uh-huh. At the end of the day, all of these online radio stations, they're volunteers, they're non-profits, they're doing this just through love of music, and they're good, sure. good people. They deserve sure. respect, and they deserve to be thanked. But yeah. there's a second reason as well. The reason I'm doing that is not only, you know, out of respect for the people that have the online radio stations, but it's also my little kind of leg up for people who may spot this so that they realize that this radio station will play your music. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Because where I started, and now we go back to the beginning, where Mm -hmm. I started was on Twitter, I started to spot that people were getting played on certain radio stations. Okay. So that then made me start the database. Uh, the spreadsheet and mm-hmm. keep tab of which stations were being mentioned. Sure. Next step is go and research that station. So for mm-hmm. each one that I see, I'll instantly follow them so that okay. I can go, go back and find them again. But I'll also check them out and see, you know, is, is my genre, is my type of music suitable for that station? Yeah. Um, I, I have found for the main part, online radio stations will play a wide variety of different types of music. Sure. But I did I did come to the realization as well earlier this year that, for example, there are certain stations which just have a no rap policy, which I found when I did the collaboration with Joe Lighty. Oh, right. Um, That's interesting. Breaking through. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't previously banged into this before. So I think for that reason, well, that being one of the reasons why it's important to check out the station, because sure. if if simply they don't play the type of music that you make, Mm-hmm. move on yeah um but as i say most of them do most of them play a wide variety of music but the next most important thing that anyone are uh, yeah anyone thinking of, of submitting or or sending music should do is check out their submission policy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um sometimes well uh, quite a lot of the time it'll be as simple as here's our email address send us something and and great you know if that's the case they work by email, send them something, go to your sure. spreadsheet, mark that that is how they receive submissions, is email, here's the email address. If there's a name, a point of contact that you can get, even better, so that when you're sending it, you can have a personalized email and say, sure. hey, Fred, or whatever. Been a while since I sent you something last. Here's our new <laughs> single. And, and our EPK is attached to where you will have images, press release, even if they're never going to use them, what radio station is going to use images, but no harm. You know, to have this EPK going out everywhere. Um, what you, one of the reasons as well, I, I have found that there are various types of submission. Okay. There are email based submission, which is fairly easy. Here's an MP3 at 320 kbps, 48k uh, frequency. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Um, the, sorry, I <laughs> thought just occurred to me as I said that you must, must underline, must tag your MP3s properly most um if anyone doesn't know what that means look it up um (laughs) it's 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 vital um and a lot of and and why is that 
It's vital because that's it, the systems that a lot of the radio stations work on require tagging in order to be able to display the name, what the track is, who it's by, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. A lot of stations will reject a track if it's not tagged. Right. Uh, because the person receiving it then would have to add the tags themselves in order to be compatible with their system. Which is more work and for them. And, yeah. Oh, in fairness, these guys are receiving hundreds of tracks a day. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, you know respect them. You know, make their job as easy as possible. Make it as easy as possible for yourself to get radio play. Make sure. their uh, and what what's yeah. interesting is when you, we initially talked about this, you you said that you started following them. Did you actually engage with them as well, or did you, did you just follow them before you started submitting your your music to them? Um, I actually no, usually don't. I usually don't mm -hmm. engage with them. I'll, I'll kind of observe them for a little while, but unless there's a specific thing I need to ask them, I won't necessarily engage with them. I will find that the engagement is generally better, friendlier, and the ice being broken if you've sent them stuff and then you start chatting to them. Okay, and I've had, I've, I've established some very good relationships with people in radio stations working that way, where you are no longer cold when you start the conversation. They've heard your stuff. They've played you. The ice is broken. It's like at a party. It's kind of this is the point at which you've relaxed a tiny bit. You can actually <laughs> be, be yourself. You're yeah, not sure. To them, you're not coming to them on, on a cold call looking for something. You've already no. got what you want. Oh, now, okay. now, it, now it's time to chat. Yeah. Um, and as I say, I've established great relationships with, with some of the radio stations in, in, just through that process. Sure. Um, before I forget, there is another thing to consider with MP3s being sent to people. Um, mm -hmm. It is worth checking out the radio stations' websites because some require the MP3s to be in specific formats. I mean, bit rates. Okay. Um, some will willingly accept anything you throw at them. Others require, for example, that be, it be encoded at 192 kilobytes per second at 44.1 kilohertz. No more, or they won't play it. Um, and there are others that will refuse anything that's less than 320 kilobytes per second. <laughs> so you, you really, you've got to do your research. And as I say, yeah. the key is make it as easy as possible for them to play you. If they that's have right. parameters, if they have parameters that they require or desire, you yeah. meet them. I suppose, that's the benefit of have, I suppose that's the benefit of having a database as well, because now you've got a database of all those radio stations, you've got the contact details exactly. of the person you've been speaking to, and if you can register or if you can um, note down what they actually require, it saves you a lot of time when you go to your next release, doesn't it? Because you're not having to research that, all that information again. That's exactly why the spreadsheet does it's to yeah. keep track of all these kind of things for each radio station. Yeah. Um, some also, ju just to finish off the, the submission methods, sure. some, some have don't take emails. They require an online system where you upload to their website. And I've also come across one or two that have a very structured process where you kind of request to submit on their website. They send you an email. You have to copy a certain chunk of the email out because it requires fields to be filled in mm -hmm. and authorization for them to use use your Twitter handle, for example, to broadcast when they're playing you, uh, which is great, right? And always go for that option if you can. Sure. Um, so as I say, there, there are just, there, there can be quirky submission protocols at various stations out there. And your job as an indie musician is to make sure you know what they are. I'm with you. Before you send. And not only know what they are, 
but make note of it in your spreadsheet because as you say next time you come around to your next release the thinking is done for you there you are i automatically when i when i finish a track i export it three or four different ways at different bit rates you know (laughs) automatically that's a very good idea so you keep it all in one folder but just at different bit rates uh, different folders. Uh, the reason yeah, being well. that the actual name of the track will be the same on each one. Now, you would know by doing a get info on the file size as to what bit rate you're talking about. The one that's the one that's 12 megabytes is your big one. The one that's three megabytes is your squished one. You know, you'll know yeah. that. But I find it helps within the exports folder or whatever finalized folder you have to actually have a folder for each of the different bit rates and frequency rates. That's a great advice. Uh, and, so- and, and drop the track in there. We we talked before we got onto the podcast about the benefits of actually getting radio play because obviously I think where, the way a lot of musicians look at it, there's no benefit at all. Very few people are going to hear it. So if you can just if you can just lay out just a few of the benefits that you feel is the reason why that you actually uh, post your music to these radio stations or send your music to these radio stations. Well, I don't think it'll come as any surprise to any any indie artist to hear that it's hard to get heard. Um, it's you know and (laughs) with apologies to tesco every little counts Um, i don't think anyone's under the illusion that these online radio stations have massive audiences listening at any given time you know Mm -hmm. no they don't um these are usually one-man operations operating dare i say out of their bedrooms just doing it for the love of music but they they are open to helping you and potentially getting you heard by a new audience that you wouldn't have got to otherwise yeah. It's free. Why not? You know, why not? For the for the cost of your time in sending out a lot of emails. Sure. Um, why wouldn't you do it? You know, and I, I had a great experience. I had a great experience where I, I found the value in it, for example, came when I had submitted to specifically in this instance, um, an online radio station operating out of California called Lonely Oak Radio. Mm-hmm. And next thing I knew on Reddit. I found that somebody had posted the video of one of my tracks on an indie music forum because they had heard my track being played on Lonely Oak Radio, researched me, went to YouTube, saw the video, liked it, and took the time to upload it to a Reddit forum. That's amazing. That's amazing. You know? So even, even more exposure for you then as an artist. Absolutely. You know, yeah. every, every little bit of exposure, free exposure, certainly. And Lord knows we shouldn't be paying, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that, that's, a, that's another podcast, most likely. Um, I suppose as well, they, they share it on their social media as well. So whenever they yes. pay you or um, they make a mention to you, they actually post it on their social media. So again, it's even that, more exposure. Yeah. M- most of them will have an automated system that will, that will tag you of for every play. And as I say, yeah. that, that's where, um, as I was saying at the beginning of this section, that's where, if you look at my Twitter timeline, you'll see a lot of thanks and, uh, and appreciation and, and respect for each play that I get. Um, uh, sorry, I've lost that train of thought. That's okay. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, so if we can talk, uh, obviously, you, we met on Twitter. You said you're on Twitter, mm-hmm. you're on Facebook, and obviously you're on YouTube. Um, can you explain to us why Twitter is your favorite platform that you want that you like to use and how, how do you actually use it in your music? Because obviously there's so many social media platforms now that I think a lot of musicians really don't know which social media media uh, platform to actually focus on. So if you can just give us your perspective on why you use Twitter and why it's one of your most favorite and how you use it in, in your music or to promote your music. 
Um, I, my preference for Twitter is because you can actually have a conversation with people. You can engage. Okay. Now, short, brief conversations, but you can have threads. Um, and you can communicate with people. You can convey your personality. What I have found with Facebook, for example, is you're effectively broadcasting to your family and friends. Yeah. At the end of the day. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I use the term friends very vaguely, or widely, whatever the expression is. Yeah, <laughs> my ten thousand friends, uh, <laughs> none of which will come to my birthday party. Um, uh, Instagram as an alternative, I find just a bit vacuous for my liking. Um, okay. It's it's very visually based, obviously, but I have never found much engagement or certainly sustained engagement coming from Instagram. You get likes and they disappear, and you get yeah. But but actually, the ability to engage in a conversation on Twitter, mm -hmm. I think, is this the the special sauce that it has. Sure. You know, with 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 um, other musicians, with radio stations, with members of the public, you can actually give voice to your personality and reinforce your brand that way. Yeah. I find. Okay. And obviously do you use it for collaborations as well? So you've done a few collaborations now and obviously you mentioned <laughs> one that you did with a rapper. Did you meet them on Twitter as well? And <laughs> yes. Um, Joel contacted me and, um, and at the time I had, I, I just released something. And as anyone who has released something will know in the period after release, your notifications just go blah, 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 and you get millions <laughs> of them. Well, Joel caught me at a time when my notifications just went through the roof, you know, and it wow. doesn't happen all the time, but you know, at that release times it does. And sure. I missed it. I completely missed it. And he tried again and I completely missed it. <laughs> and it took him about three months to actually, I, I was browsing through one day. Oh, oh really? Actually, the, the reason I found his, um, tweet to me was because it's tied into the last thing we were saying about most radio stations will automatically tag you, but mm -hmm. some either either can't or don't, and you will actually have to search for yourself on Twitter. I know that sounds a bit vain, but you will no. have to search. You'll have to search for references to yourself in order to catch the play, in order to thank them for it. And sure. it was during one of those sessions where I was kind of you know searching for myself on twitter that i found joel's email or his um his tweet his, saying I'd, tweet. I'd love to collab <laughs> so, how, so then, did he so not um and said, did yes, he not send you like a personal dm then or anything he just he was no no it was, to... a, it was a public tweet yeah that i missed how unusual okay um and only then and well i actually respect that i'm i'm I don't know how you feel about the whole DM thing. I'm mm -hmm. I'm a bit cautious on it. And if I'm DMing someone out of the blue who isn't expecting a message from me, I'll always open it with that. I hope this is okay to do. Right. Um, what, what I would say is, Paul, is if sorry, I'll just interrupt there. What I would say is it's always good to build up a relationship first online. So just in the normal tweets. Then when you yeah. build up a relationship, and as long as you're following each other, then I have absolutely no problem with somebody DMing. But to just DM somebody out of the blue, yeah, that, that just doesn't work anymore. Well, yeah, it's kind work. of spamming DMs. Yeah, no, yeah. it doesn't work at all. Um, uh, in fact, it, it's counterproductive. It will just, you know, people will choose specifically not to listen to you if you pull that kind of act. It's, it's like spamming yeah. in, a, in a Twitter thread, you know, where people are having a conversation and suddenly, whoa, YouTube link from somebody random. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just. 
don't do it. <laughs> I, am, I get and, a lot of those. Oh, what's even worse is that, you know, when you are thanking somebody, say a radio station for playing your music and then bing, there's a random link to somebody's <laughs> on it. Why not just submit the track to the station? You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> follow the procedure. How hard is know? it? How hard is it? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so you like Twitter. Um, you spend a lot of your time on there. Um, how do you use it to network then? If Are you are you following people that you'd like and you'd like to do some sort of collaboration with and then you just start engaging with them more? How, how do you actually use it? Um, yeah, there, there is a very friendly, welcoming and helpful Twitter community of indie artists out there. Sure. Um, and it won't take long for anyone trying. It won't take long to become ingrained in that community. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone is kind of trying to help everyone else at the same time. Uh, which is brilliant. Uh, sure. Cross promote. Um, I've, I've kind of I'm, I'm increasingly developing mixed feelings about the whole trains that start, like shout outs and stuff like that, because yeah. uh, it's it, it kills your notifications for a start. Yeah, and you're getting like a, a million notifications for something that you're only vaguely interested in. Um, but yeah, it's worth taking the time. If you if you come across anyone that you like. You know, search them out. They're, they'll be very open. Most of the community is very open and willing to make new contacts and, and be helpful. Um, sure. Either sharing experiences, advice, listening to your music. Ideally, cross-promotion is fantastic. Um, and there's a lot of that going on. Um, it's, it's, it's like networking a room just in a virtual sense. You know? Yeah, that's yeah, um, a good, good analogy, actually. But it's also global, uh, which is fantastic, too. Um, yeah. You know, certainly, I don't, again, my perspective, I'm coming out of Ireland, small little country islands off the coast of Europe type thing. So the ability or the facility, should I say, to be able to network with people in Australia, uh, like Records Velvet, Lee Thomas, all those, it's, it's stunning. Like, yeah. um, to, be, to form a collaboration through an online platform with a guy who lives 5,000 miles away and compose a song together, do a video amazing. together, release the track together, stunning. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, we'll say as well, what you can do on Twitter, and I don't know if you do this, Paul, um, once you've engaged with somebody that's tagged you, and once you've had a little bit of back and forth, you can actually mute that conversation. And yes, it stops you yes. It stops you from getting any more notifications. So obviously, yeah, I've, it's I've, a little bit easier for me. But just, just to retain sanity, you have to do that every so often. <laughs> you know? if, if, like, if like you're caught in the first or second tweet of a thread, of, yeah. a, of a train thread, and, and and it just keeps going for a week, you know, um, it can really, it can <laughs> yeah. be rather unsettling. And as I say, it can also lead you to miss other things that are important, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm not saying that it's not important, but like notifications from Joel, for example, that time I missed his tweet just sure. because my entire notification system had gone completely bonkers. Yeah. You, know? yeah. um, you do have to mute every so often. It's just, it can become too much, just overwhelming. You know, you open Twitter and you've like, you know, a million notifications. You're never going to make it through all those. You're never going to be able no. to weed out one thing from another. So muting. Yeah. Yeah. I total advocate of it. Fantastic. Cool. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, so I've got uh, a lot, one last question to ask you, Paul, if I may. Um, if you could give uh, three pieces of advice to other musicians, what would it be? Because obviously you've, like you said in earlier on, you've had 30 years of being a professional musician, so you've got a lot of knowledge to convey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, Collecting my pension next week. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but yes, <laughs> what what sort of um, what would be your best advice to new musicians coming through? Um, how to navigate the whole music um, music world? Um, what would your advice be for them? Um, I, I think the most important thing I could say to anyone who's who's getting into it is to be aware of and regularly remind yourself that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Sure. Overnight successes are so rare and actually usually mislabeled um, because they ignore the work that was done under the hood to get people to a point where they are, that this, if you are going to try to sustain a career out of this, this mm -hmm. will be going on for a long time. Yeah. And you will be building slowly and incrementally. There's no, um, there's no magic wand that's going to suddenly make you popular. You will be building your audience one member at a time by one member at a time. You know? sure. That is the way it's going to go. So pace yourself would be the okay. key message that I could say to anyone is don't, don't burn out and throw everything at your first release and, and end up, you know, sick or insane, you know, which can happen. It's a very, well, it's a very potentially obsessive field to be in. It, you know, is. it can be all consuming and it's yeah. important to remind yourself. And th this will be my second piece of advice is mm -hmm. take regular breaks. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, from everything, from social sure. media, from making music, from everything, because in the same way that it becomes obsessive, you can actually lose yourself in it. You can lose perspective. Sure. Um, and it's necessary to just step back and regain a little bit of that perspective every so often to remind yourself of what's important, what is worth putting your energy into, what's not. Uh, also assess how you how things have gone for you so far in order to sure. learn from what you have done. What's your experience being? What was worth doing that you can do again? What wasn't worth doing that there's no point in considering next time? You must take breaks away from it in order to be able to see that clearly. You yeah. don't see it when you're in the middle of it, you know? No. Um, and the... Third thing, it's it's not so much about how to make it, just more of how to protect yourself while you're trying, mm -hmm. is don't compare yourself to others. Okay. It's really it's really tempting. It's a it's a human um, characteristic. We can't help mm -hmm. but do it naturally, but consciously avoid trying to do it. There was a lovely analogy I saw on Twitter a while back, which was talking about um, which was basically flowers. How Flowers through nature all bloom at different times. We are each flowers. You will bloom, but you may bloom later than another flower. That's part that's a lovely of analogy. Nature. I love yeah. that. I'll use that if you don't mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you know, as I say, it's 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 very tempting and self-destructive to start comparing yourself to other people. And and uh, you know, therein I'm going to sound like Yoda a little bit. Man, resentment <laughs> lies that way. And, and and those kind of that negative energy that you can bring in just because of the seeming success of somebody else relative to how successful you're being, etc. Sure. You know, down down that road there be dragons. You know, and you need to protect your mental health from that temptation. Sure. Um, That's great advice. Thank you. And well, well, well um, I know I said that was the last question, but I just um, want to get your perspective <laughs> on the um, on the streaming platforms, for example. And the last, a lot. 
the last question. <laughs> yeah, and the last, last question. <laughs> What's your perspective on the streaming platforms? And obviously, you said that you're on Bandcamp as well. Um, yeah. Are you actually looking to make money out of your music? And if you are, what platform is it that you prefer to use? Um, What's your perspective on it? Because I know there's a lot of backlash against some, uh, a platform like Spotify. Um, and obviously, well, yeah, you've been I mean, in the industry I, for a few years. What, what's your perspective on it all? Well, uh, Spotify. Um, yeah. it, it is, for better or for worse, you've no control over this, Spotify is ubiquitous. They yeah. have managed to rack up the market share and the user base that is so appealing to the public because it's cheap, usually at the expense of musicians. Mm -hmm. But as I say, it, the result is it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Sure. If people will assume that you're on Spotify, to an extent, my view is, yes, you've got to be there. Um, because they will look for you there. You must be where they look for you. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, they won't, they won't stop looking for you. So mm. it's never going to be a heavy revenue stream unless you somehow manage to swing millions and millions and millions of streams on it. Mm -hmm. um, but it is supportive in terms of brand building, awareness, being out there, where you stand a much better chance of making money, as any indie artist will tell you, is mm -hmm. Bandcamp. Bandcamp is where you can actually sell your music. Now, that invites a situation that you've got to consider, which is there's a platform where people can buy your music, pay for it, or there's a platform where they can get it for free. Sure. Or, or at least in, included in their subscription. In the subscription, yeah. What you're going to do? <laughs> as, a, as a user, you know, you can't blame members of the public from loving Spotify. It has been crafted to be that appealing to them at your expense. What I've found, and I've recommended to a few other artists, is an exclusive pre-release on Bandcamp for a period of time. Mm -hmm. I do usually two to three weeks where okay. I will release, release a track on Bandcamp. It's only available there. So anyone idea. who is genuinely a fan or interested or excited about something that I'm releasing, and you know, I may be vain in thinking that anyone's excited <laughs> about <what> I'm releasing, <laughs> but, but it will generate a number of sales yeah. on the platform before it becomes available on a platform where they can get it for free, okay. be it YouTube, Spotify, wherever it may be. And on Bandcamp, is it only the way you do it? Is it only available MP3 wise download, or do you do the physical side of it? As no, well? I, I don't do the physical. Um, I don't do inventory. I, I have had bad experiences before of getting kind of, you know, getting physical product, having in inventory that you can't shift, and it's just mm -hmm. a waste of money. I made a conscious decision that I wanted to hit a critical point of. Mm public awareness, success, whatever it may be, um, before I would get into actually generating physical product that could be sold. That was just my personal decision at the beginning, was that sure. it's not going to cost me anything to have the, the music up there, therefore everything is profit. Um, oh, you asked me earlier about what I wanted to achieve in music, um, and the, the main thing that I want to achieve in music is simply making enough profit out of it that it is self-sustaining that I sure. don't have to pump wadges of money that is otherwise going to feed my kids into it. Yeah. Yeah. And that for me is the ideal. I just want to be able to continue doing this mm -hmm. while at least breaking even. Anything else is a bonus. Yeah, if I can break fantastic. even, that to me is success. Fantastic. Um, so look, Paul, 
where can people find you? Um, also, we talked about Twitter. If you just want to, if you just want to let us Hanging know where we. Corners, <laughs> <laughs> um, my, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, Twitter is key. Twitter is the one. Um, at a and what's your Twitter handle? A band, a band called Paul. And on Instagram and Facebook? Same. Uh, a band called Paul. Now, I will usually, I won't be as engaging on Facebook and Instagram as I would be on Twitter. I will I will engage with anyone who engages with me on, uh, on Twitter. And cool. music-wise, you can get me on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, the usual suspects. Fantastic. Well, look, Paul, thank you so much for this. I think I think a lot of musicians will get a lot out of this interview because um, the perspective that you have is a little bit different from a lot of other musicians. And regarding the, um, the online radio stations, I think they're really going to get a lot out of it. So I do appreciate you coming on and obviously letting well, us know so. how you um, actually use it. I always say, and, and a lot of people in the indie community on Twitter will, will say also anything we can do to help. Um, this is, it's not a competition out there we are not in competition with one another there is a market out there for everyone so why sure. not support one another and anything that i can volunteer from experience that could help perfectly happy to do it perfectly appreciate that paul thank you so much we're going to continue having the conversation on twitter and um we'll i'll continue learning from what you do as well because i, I learned a lot in this podcast and, and also what you and do online so i appreciate that back at you this and thank you for having <laughs> me on i really appreciate it no, you're welcome. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, take care. So guys, that's all we've got time for today. Hopefully you got some real great value from this. And I'd like to thank Paul for being on the podcast. Now, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast and also subscribe to the private Facebook group called the Music Marketing Academy. I shall see you in the next episode. Take care.